Let's open our Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Daniel, chapter 9, and one of the most important prophecies in the Bible, and one of the most misunderstood, and yet, Jesus said it was one of the simplest. Daniel, chapter 9. The Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 24 and in Mark chapter 13, he said, As it is written in Daniel the prophet, let him that readeth understand. Because what's written in Daniel is not very complicated or difficult. This is a very important Bible prophecy. This is a very well-known Bible prophecy, but it's an abused Bible prophecy. This prophecy is called the 70 weeks of Daniel for the obvious reason that it's describing 70 weeks that God had determined to include, to have certain things happen to the nation of Israel. Let me read the last four verses of Daniel chapter 9 to you, and then I'll comment on them. Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 24. And this is the man Gabriel speaking to Daniel. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Even until the consummation... And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. I studied this passage with you about three years ago. On Wednesday evenings, we went through the book of Daniel. Let's look at this prophecy now. Let's remember a couple of things to help us through it. Daniel is in the city of Babylon. The nation of Israel had been wicked and disobeyed the God of their fathers and the God that had chosen them to be his people. And so God sent his servant, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire, the greatest king this world has seen, to come and take them captive into Babylon. And Daniel is there. And he realizes by the prophet Jeremiah that they are ending the 70 years that they would be in captivity that Jeremiah had told them. This is all in Daniel 9. You can read it there. So Daniel in Babylon is reading the Bible. He's reading Jeremiah the prophet, and he realized the prophecy is that we're only supposed to be here in Babylon for 70 years. And he's toward the end of that, so he sets himself to pray and asks the Lord what's going to happen next. And so this is the answer. 
This is Gabriel the angel came and gave them this him this answer of four verses in length of what was going to happen to Daniel's people. This prophecy doesn't involve the United States. See, everyone that lives in the United States thinks that there has to be a lot of prophecies in the Bible about the United States. That's just nationalistic arrogance. If you didn't live in the United States and you lived in Japan, you'd think that Japan should be in the Bible. You know you'd want made in Japan, some verse, somewhere in the Bible. But it's not true. This is about Israel, and it's only about Israel. Notice how it's limited right off the bat. Verse 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. And then when we read further, it told us down in verse 26 that the city and the sanctuary were going to be destroyed, that there would be a war, and the war would end with overflowing, overwhelming power, and it would result in a consummation of the desolate people because of their abominations. Seventy weeks, without explaining it all here, and there is a very detailed outline on the internet, under the book of Daniel, under the prophecy section, under Bible topics, from the home page, you can find a detailed outline on Daniel 9. The 70 weeks are 70 weeks of years, not 70 weeks. 70 weeks would only be a year and a half, and nothing happened in a year and a half. Daniel was in Babylon, and a year and a half didn't cover any of these items. Uh, There's lots of reasons why we can prove from the Bible that it's weeks of years, but that's for another time. There's not time tonight. So we have 70 weeks of years. Now, can you do some quick math in your head? 70 times how many days in a week? Seven. So 70 times seven is going to be 490 years. 490 years are determined upon thy people, upon the Jewish people, and upon thy holy city, which would be Jerusalem. And then there are six things listed that will occur in those 490 years. Here are the six things. To finish the transgression. That is, the Lord would allow that nation to commit its final and greatest sins to finish their transgression and to fill up their wrath for God to pour out His judgment upon them. And what was truly the culminating act of their rebellion? It's to slay the Son of God and to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. To finish the transgression, number one. Number two, to make an end of sins. Did Jesus put away sin and perfect us forever by the sacrifice of Himself on the cross? Amen. And to make reconciliation for iniquity. Did Jesus Christ reconcile us to God? Yes, Yes, He did. And to bring in everlasting righteousness. Did He do that? And to seal up the vision and prophecy. Did the Lord Jesus Christ restrict and keep the truth of the Gospel away from the Jews and give it to the Gentiles? Did he speak in parables so that the people would not understand what he was saying, but revealed it to his apostles? Yes. He sealed up the vision and the prophecy, and the most holy was anointed. What or whom would be the most holy? The Lord Jesus Christ was anointed. We have six items. Those all had to occur within 490 years, and they all did. Let's go forward. Verse 25, know therefore and understand. Daniel, here's something I want you to know and understand. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks 
and three score in two weeks. Now, what's a score? Twenty. Three score would be? Three score and two would be? Three score and two and seven would be? Sixty-nine. Sixty-nine times seven would be? Four hundred and eighty-three years. Four hundred and eighty-three years would bring us to Messiah the Prince. You say, why did he put it that way? Why didn't he just tell me 483 years? Well, take that up with the Lord when you get to heaven. I'm not going to take it up with them. I like the way he wrote it because it helped other people get confused in Daniel chapter 9. The reason he broke it into two sections is the first seven weeks, which would be 49 years, was what it took for them to build the temple. He's broken it into two halves, 49 years to get that temple and the city rebuilt in Jerusalem. And then the other years adding up to 483 came from that to the Messiah, the Prince. It tells us that it says, The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. Verse 26, And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. I don't want to deal with that yet. Let's go back to verse 25. It said, it said that 483 years would get us unto Messiah the Prince. When was the Messiah announced to Israel? I think we first of all need to back up and remind ourselves, what does the word Messiah mean? It's the Christ or the Anointed One of God. And it only occurs a couple times, it occurs two times in Daniel and two times in the New Testament. The rest of the time he's called the Christ, which is the Greek form of the same word, being the anointed one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. When was Jesus of Nazareth anointed as the most holy and revealed to Israel as the promised Messiah in Christ? At his, at his baptism by John the Baptist. Prior to that, he was unknown. And the Bible tells us that. John chapter 1 is where you want to go. Matthew chapter 3. Any of the accounts that tell us when he was baptized, that's when Messiah the Prince was revealed. And so the years came up to Messiah the Prince. Now, there's other ways we can prove that. If you make it his birth, you don't have enough time remaining in the prophecy to fulfill anything. So you're in deep trouble. It's got to be his baptism. And there's a whole outline. I don't have time to go over all those details. It's wonderful. This is one of the simplest prophecies in the Bible. But it's the foundation for understanding a lot of other prophecies. 483 years from 456 B.C. to 26 A.D. get us to the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, there is one coming after me. Does that sound like an announcement? There is one coming after me that is greater and mightier than I. I am not worthy to even loose his shoes. And then when he came, John chapter 1 tells us, This is he of whom I spake, there cometh one after me that is mightier than I. And God the Father anointed him with the Holy Ghost in the the waters of the Jordan River. He spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one that Israel had been waiting for, was there was pointed to, was identified, and revealed by John the Baptist in 26 A.D. That's verse 25. Let's come on to verse 26 now. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. 
Messiah, what does word cut off mean in the Bible? Killed. Messiah would be cut off after 62 weeks. Now, hold on. After 62 weeks, was there another chunk of weeks put in front of the 62 in the previous verse that he assumes you're going to remember? Of course. Because you had seven weeks first, and then 62 weeks second. So if something happens after the 62 weeks, it's really after 69 weeks. Please. That's not deep. I know it's late, and I know it's Sunday night. But that is simple. After 62 weeks means after 69 weeks. Well, how can you do that? Because you're to understand about the seven that came first that are mentioned in the previous verse. Now, here's a key point. If, if Messiah was to be cut off after the 69th week, in what week was he cut off? The 70th. If it's after the 69th, can it be in the 69th? Can it be in between the two? No. It has to be in the 70th week. Do you know what the whole world wants to do with this prophecy now? They want to take the 70th week and stick it out in the future yet with a 2,000 year gap between the 69th week and the 70th week. And that makes God a liar. And I hate anyone that does that. And I'm not a hateful person. But I can't stand someone taking a prophecy of the God of heaven where he said it's 70 weeks are determined and they make it 2,000 weeks. Because they jam it way out in the future. Because I want to tell you something. Anyone that does that is Antichrist. Do you know what they all do with that 70th week? They make the 70th week to apply only to the Antichrist. Because they are followers of Antichrist by their doctrine. Whether they believe so in their heart or not does not matter. It is Antichrist to take a prophecy that is about the Messiah and apply it to the Antichrist. And that's what they do with the 70th week, and I'll show you in a moment. But we're following through this simple prophecy after three score and two weeks, which really is 69 weeks because there were seven that came before in a category of their own, which he doesn't need to repeat if you've got an intelligence above 80. Okay, I've said enough on that point. And after three, you ought to read on this chapter and see if you don't get upset. And if you don't get upset, then something's wrong with you. I do not like men who steal the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ from plain prophecies. This is so simple. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. Can you guess what week that occurred in? The 70th week. It's going to repeat it for your help in verse 27. But for right now, let's just cheat and say it's in the 70th week because it's after the 69. And it says he shall be cut off. And you, you told me that that meant he would die. But it says not for himself. Does that make sense? Is that what we're celebrating tonight in the Lord's Supper? He was cut off. He was killed, but not for himself. He was cut off and he was killed for you and for me. And we're going to celebrate that tonight at the Lord's Supper. We understand the first half of verse 26. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Then we've got this. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Because of what I told you this morning, that's very simple. When was the city and sanctuary of Daniel's people 
utterly leveled to the ground and eliminated. 70 A.D. That's why 70 A.D. is so important. Because this fundamental, basic Bible prophecy, which lays the groundwork for how we understand the New Testament, tells us that the people of the prince, notice it doesn't say the people of the king, or the people of the queen, it says the people of the prince, because the man that came and led those Roman armies was Titus, who was the son of Vespasian, who was the emperor in Rome. He was truly a prince. And the people of the prince that shall come. This is going to come sometime later. This is not going to occur within the 70 weeks. Can I prove that? Can you remember that? What occurs in the 70 weeks is back in verse 24. Six things. 70 weeks are determined for these six things, and none of the six things were the destruction of Jerusalem, because that was to come shortly after those six weeks. Because the seven... After the 70 weeks, after those six things, the 70 weeks were to get us to Messiah and then then to tell us what he did in that last week. Still, are you still going here? Daniel nine. The people that of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That is the Roman armies under Titus 70 A.D. And the end thereof shall be with the flood. He overwhelmed them. And under the end of the war, desolations are determined. God had determined to desolate that city of Jerusalem for what they had done to his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus stood in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, and beheld the city of Jerusalem. And he wept over it and he said, The day is coming in the which your enemies are going to surround you. They're going to dig a trench all the way around you. And they're going to leave you level with the ground because you did not know the day of your visitation. And what was the day of their visitation? Messiah the Prince had come, and God had given Israel a calendar so that they could know the very year that Messiah the Prince came. Now, did real believers in Israel know that Messiah the Prince was coming when he arrived? Yes. The Bible tells us there was much expectation about John where the Messiah was. Does it tell us about Anna when she was in the temple? That she spoke of many to them that were, help me. Looking for redemption in Jerusalem. They were looking for Messiah the Prince to arrive because this is so simple. All you had to do was find out when Cyrus gave the decree for Jerusalem to rebuild and start counting. Start counting. You know, you wouldn't live long enough to count it yourself. So you'd put it in a little diary and you'd give it to your children and say, keep counting. I counted the 70 years of my life. That's only 10 weeks. You keep counting. Your grandchildren keep counting. They came to what the New Testament was. That's why John burst in the scene. What were his words? The time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The 483 years have expired. What did you think he meant when he said that? The time is fulfilled. What time? God's timing? That wouldn't mean anything to anyone. Hardly. But they had a specific timed prophecy of 490 years. The time is fulfilled. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, who's doing the confirming of the covenant? We have one male singular antecedent in the previous verse. That's a subject in that previous verse. And it's Messiah the Prince. And it's obvious it's Messiah for anybody that's a Christian. 
but not an anti-Christian. I'll explain in a moment. Verse 27, He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. When did the Old Testament cease as far as God was concerned? When Jesus Christ hung on the cross and in John 19.30 said, It is finished. When he said it is finished, what happened in the temple? A veil that was that thick, a veil that was that thick and 60 feet high was torn in half by Almighty God from the top to the bottom and opened up the way into the holiest because, because now there was free access to God with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. As far as the followers of Jesus Christ offering sacrifices for their sins was over. The Jews kept on doing it for 40 years. And we're told why they did it. Because it was called the time of reformation. Hebrews 9.10 The worship of God was being reformed from that of the Old Testament to that of the New. And it occurred for 40 years. But the sacrifice and the oblation ceased as far as God was concerned. Because the Lamb of God had come and replaced every lamb before Him. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. What week would that be? Beautiful. We are chugging now on the math of Daniel chapter 9. This week in verse 27 is the 70th week. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. How long was a week? Seven years. How long was Jesus Christ's ministry? Three and a half. How do we prove that best? Right here. Because he caused the sacrifice to end in the midst of the 70th week. How did, he, let's, how did he confirm the covenant with Israel for another three and a half years? By his apostles going everywhere and preaching first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and then in Samaria, that Jesus Christ and in instituting the Lord's Supper was the fulfillment of all sacrifice and there was no more need for any. And we have men like Paul writing the book of Hebrews telling them that all those sacrifices were no longer needed. Because sacrifice and oblation had ceased at the death of Jesus Christ. Now, we have parallelism. Parallelism means you have something here that looks like something there. Verses 26 and 27 are alike. The first half of 26 talks about Messiah the Prince. The first half of 27 talks about Messiah the Prince. Second half of verse 26 talks about Titus coming with the Roman armies. Second half of verse 27 talks about Titus coming with the Roman armies. Let's look at, that's the parallelism, verses 26 to 27. First half of 26 is about Jesus, second, first half of 27 is about Jesus. Second half of 26 is about the Roman armies coming and desolating the city and the temple. Second half of 27 is the same thing. Second half of verse 27. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Jesus said in Matthew 23:38, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And here he poured out his judgment on the city of Jerusalem, on the Jewish people, on the temple, on the priesthood, on the rebels that had crucified him, and he overwhelmed them with a flood. It's called a war because the Romans transacted a war against Israel. And against the Jews. And that is the prophecy of Daniel 9, 24 through 27. What has it told us? It told us that the Lord Jesus Christ would be cut off in the midst of that seventh week 
in which he would end sacrifice because he would die. But after, and, and that was determined for Daniel's people, that Jesus Christ would come. But because of how he was treated, as the New Testament tells us, then the Lord Jesus Christ sent Roman armies under a prince, whom we know as Titus. See, it says the city and the sanctuary are going to be destroyed. The simple question is, when was the city and the sanctuary of the Jews destroyed? Everyone knows that that reads the Bible, understands history, and checks out the Bible. It was destroyed in 70 A.D. That's the only time a print... There's never been a city yet. There's never been a temple again. There never will be a temple again that God would ever consider a sanctuary. That was wiped out in 70 A.D. According to Daniel the prophet, and Jesus said, as he was describing the great tribulation that would surround the destruction of that city and sanctuary, Daniel said... Let him that readeth Daniel understand. It's simple. So here's the prophecy. Titus the prince is going to come with Roman armies, and there's going to be a war, and he's going to overwhelm the city of Jerusalem, and he's going to destroy it, he's going to consume it, and God is going to make it utterly desolate until it's consumed. The city and the sanctuary. That's exactly what we're told here. And it's only Daniel's people. There's nothing in here about the United States. There's nothing in here about the United Nations. There's nothing in here about the Roman Catholic Church. There's nothing in here about Antiochus Epiphanes. There's nothing in here about Henry Kissinger. There's nothing in here even about President Clinton. It's about Jesus and Titus. Now, you know what they do? They say God's, God's timetable was working fine until he got to 483 years. And then he decided he'd postpone it and stick in 2,000 years. But it's not really 2,000 years. It's an indefinite time period. So the prophecy has no meaning at all. You can't say the time is fulfilled at any point in time. Because there is no time. It's just a vague dream of someone. And the he, in verse 27, is not the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The he, in verse 27, is some antichrist that's going to rule on the earth for seven years. And in the midst of the week, he's going to cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. You say, well, how in the world could that be the Antichrist? Well, the Antichrist is going to come according to them, and he's going to make a covenant with the Jews. See? He'll confirm the covenant for a week. He'll make a covenant with the Jews, and for three and a half years, he's going to be a Jew lover. Then after three and a half years, he's going to stop their animal sacrifices again, and he's going to become a Jew hater. And he's going to march on Jerusalem, and then the armies are going to get together, and Jesus will come back for the third time, which I told you about this morning, in this morning's sermon. That's what they do with verse 27. Jesus is blown entirely out of it, and they make it the Antichrist. Now, whenever you hear them talking about a seven-year tribulation, there's only one place in the Bible where there is a seven years described as anything, and it's right here. This is where they get the seven-year tribulation. There is nowhere else there's anything listed as being seven years long. It's right here. And look where it came from. By taking what belonged to Jesus Christ and giving it to the Antichrist. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That is Messiah the Prince. That is the subject. Noun, that is the subject singular male from the previous verse. The Prince in the previous verse is not a subject noun. The people is a plural noun of the Prince where prince is simply a modifier to help you understand the people that are coming. And the cutting off in the midst of the week is something we were already told about in the verse 26, which is when Messiah is cut off. 
That is all I can, the time I can spend on Daniel 9. That is the foundation. Right there we have the Roman armies under a prince. Not, we're not told that it's Rome here, but the people of the prince that shall come. It's easy to figure out it was Rome because Daniel chapter 2 told us there were only four empires left. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And the days of the Roman Empire, Jesus would set up a kingdom. Amen. That's Daniel chapter 9, brethren. It's very simple. Look at the wonderful things in verse 24 that Jesus, the Messiah, did for us. He made an end of sins. He made reconciliation for iniquity. He brought in everlasting righteousness for you and me. He sealed up the vision and prophecy and kept it from those who were wise and prudent and revealed it unto babes. Thank you, Lord. And he anointed the most holy. But there was one other thing that happened in those 490 years. They finished the transgression. They killed the Lord of glory. And that was the final blow. Jesus, when he looked at the city, and I've already said this once tonight, when he looked at the city and said, they're going to level you even with the ground, he said, because you knew not the day of your visitation. Wonderful prophecy. Don't let you young men in here, don't you ever let somebody destroy this prophecy by jamming a gap into it. There is no gap in this prophecy. They are liars from hell. The father is, the, the devil is the father of all such lies. A timed prophecy with a gap in the middle of it is absolutely insane because it then has no meaning at all. They have no idea. This doesn't mean anything to them because they say they're not even going to be on earth. Don't, you young men, forget what you've been taught. You hold fast to the standard, basic, orthodox understanding of Daniel 9 that has been understood for a long, long time. That the, per- that the person of verse 27, the he of verse 27, is Messiah the Prince, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was cut off after the 69th week, according to verse 26, which puts him in the 70th week, And verse 27 tells us exactly when in the 70th week, in the midst of it, after three and a half years, was he cut off, sacrifice, and oblation ended. He said it is finished. That's the prophecy of Daniel pointing us toward what we're going to see in the New Testament. Let's come over to the book of Joel. It's not too far to the right. You've got Daniel, Hosea, Joel. You know, the way they talk about the seven-year tribulation, you'd think it's a hundred times in the Bible. It's not in the Bible at all. They take that 70th week and jam it out in the future. That isn't theirs to take. That 70th week has been fulfilled 2,000 years ago. Joel chapter 2. I want to read, begin reading at verse 28. Joel 2.28. Let me go back. Let me go back to Daniel. Don't turn back there. Just Daniel 9. It's not that hard to find a liar in the Word of God. Go read any one of the modern writers on Daniel chapter 9 and ask them what event was the starting point of the 490 years. Gabriel told Daniel... It would be the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Because they have all dropped to their knees in seminary 
and sworn allegiance to Bishop Usher's chronology, when they look at Bishop Usher's chronology and they find Cyrus, when they find Cyrus is only 350 years out, they get scared, so they jump from Cyrus to Artaxerxes. As soon as they do that, you know you have a liar in Daniel chapter 9. It is the decree of Cyrus the Persian. That is God's chosen servant. God named Cyrus 150 years before he was born. God sent Cyrus as his servant. Cyrus is the one that gave the decree to build Jerusalem in 2 Chronicles 36, in Ezra chapter 1, in Isaiah 44, in Isaiah 45, and in Daniel. How many more testimonies do you need? It's Cyrus the Persian. But none of them hold to Cyrus the Persian because in seminary they were forced to swear allegiance to Bishop Usher's chronology, which makes Cyrus impossible because the chronology is wrong. Because the chronology was taken from Ptolemy, a Greek Egyptian. The the Ptolemies of the Greek Empire that settled in Egypt, that's where all that came from. Now that is just a little sideline. When you read anyone about Daniel 9 and you hear the word Artaxerxes, there is no Artaxerxes involved because Artaxerxes did not build Jerusalem and nor did he build the temple. It was Cyrus the Persian. And what have you read his four testimonies? The God of heaven has told me that he wants me to build him a temple in Jerusalem. Now, does it get any better than that? Isaiah 44 and 45 are all about how God was going to raise up Cyrus and put him in the, the throne of Babylon that was an impregnable city. I'm going to dry up the rivers for you. I'm going to dry up the waters. They're going to leave the brass gates open in Jerusalem. I mean, in, in Babylon, excuse me, in Babylon. It's Cyrus. Right. And when you see some man that will defy the word of God to lay it on Artaxerxes, then you, you've got a man who loves men and the praise of men more than he does the word of God. Amen. We are going to go with the man that God raised up to rebuild Jerusalem. That was Cyrus the Persian. Let's come to Joel now. We're in Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Listen to these words. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Jimmy Swaggart's pulling down his tie at this point. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Follow me. You want to be a Bible believer? Follow me. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. I am following the course I am through Bible prophecy to teach you. Because I'm supposed to be your teacher, not your entertainer. Follow this prophecy. Verse 28, it will come to pass afterward. Joel is saying there is a day coming in which God is going to pour out His Spirit and sons and daughters, old men and young men, are going to have visions and prophesy. Verse 29, the servants and the handmaidens are going to get a huge dose, a huge amount of the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, God is going to show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. 
Blood, fire, and vapor of smoke, and pillars of smoke. I'm already quoting its New Testament counterpart. Verse 31, The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Now, brethren, here's what you have to do. You read the passage, and you say to yourself, But the sun hasn't stopped shining. The moon hasn't stopped shining. I haven't seen the heavens and the earth covered with blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Therefore, this must be a future prophecy that is yet to come in some future day. That's because you haven't read the Bible. The only way a person would think that is they're approaching the Bible ignorantly by not having read the Bible. This prophecy says, I will show wonders in heaven, wonders in the earth, blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun's going to stop shining. The moon's going to stop shining. Come to Acts chapter 2. And let's learn the fulfillment of that prophecy. And let's learn another thing. Let's learn how prophets talk. Prophets don't come out and say something like this. In the day, of, on the day of Pentecost, in 30 A.D., on the day of Pentecost, this is in 500 B.C., on the day of Pentecost, in 30 A.D., 120 people are going to be in an upper room, and there's going to be the rushing of a mighty wind, and the Holy Ghost is going to come upon them, and they're going to speak in other languages, and 15 language groups are going to be there for the purpose of the Pentecost, And they're going to hear the wonderful works of God declared in all the tongues in which they were born. A prophet never speaks like that. And the Bible tells us they will never speak like that. Hosea 1.12. Hosea 1.10 tells us the prophets spoke by similitudes. When prophets speak, they give word pictures. They don't tell you things like that. That's why the Bible, when the Bible is going to tell you something very specific, it says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly because prophets do not speak expressly. That's why you have Revelation 1.1 that says, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass and he sent and signified it. Signified it means it's not plain. It's not express. It's presented in signs. When the Bible uses the word to signify something, it uses signs to present it, word pictures, rather than express language. The Bible tells us that about prophets. And so we believe it. But we come to Acts chapter 2, we know exactly what the fulfillment of Joel 2, 28 through 32 was. Acts chapter 2, this is the day of Pentecost. They're speaking in other tongues. They were, all the people in Jerusalem in verse 12 were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? This was a tremendous change in the religious world in Jerusalem On the day of Pentecost in 30 A.D., others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning, these men are not drunk. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes the verses that we just read. 28, 29, 
30, 31, and 32, all of them in their entirety. This is that. And it shall come to pass, verse 17, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And we could go on and read all five verses. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which caused fishermen. Now, fishermen couldn't even speak their own language. Do you know that, that the Bible tells us that about Peter, James, and John? When they spoke, as soon as they opened their mouths, men that had had schooling knew that those men were uneducated in their own tongue. And all of a sudden, we've got Galilean fishermen speaking plainly, fluently, in the languages. There's 15 language groups mentioned there. The 15 run from verse 9 down through verse 11. There's 15 language groups. And these Galilean fishermen are speaking them fluently. That's why they were all amazed. And others mocked. Peter said, brethren, this was prophesied. God said He would pour out His Spirit. He has poured out His Spirit. And He quoted the whole thing because the passage is a figurative word picture of a great upheaval in the religious world. And it is expressed by a prophet in great word pictures of an upheaval in the natural world. The sun's going to stop shining. You say, well, what's the literal interpretation of that? There isn't a literal interpretation of that. It's a word picture of there being great changes. What had once been the source of wisdom? What was the source of knowledge and wisdom under Israel? A high priest went into the tabernacle, went into the Ark of the Covenant, and God spoke with them. Or they pulled the stones out of their, their robes, Urim and Thummim, and they had revelation from God. Gone. The sun was no longer shining. If you want an explanation of every single little phrase, we can work one up from the Bible. Because that was no longer a source of knowledge or wisdom. It was now being provided by the Holy Ghost on Galilean fishermen. And Peter said, this is that. Now you can, you can, here's another way to find a Bible liar. Do you believe that in Acts chapter 2, Joel 2.28 and the verses following were fulfilled in the day of Pentecost? And if they say no, you've got a liar. Because Peter said, this is that. See, Jimmy Swaggart doesn't believe that. Benny Hinn doesn't believe that. Jimmy and Benny believe that that passage there spoken by Peter because there are future tense verbs. Verse 17, it shall come to pass, I will pour. Jimmy and Benny and the rest look at those verses and say, see, God is saying in the last days, He's going to pour out His Spirit, and I'm the one in the last day. And that verse is mine. And Jimmy says that and he pulls his tie down to half-mast and he wipes the sweat off his forehead and he goes over the piano because he's so excited that Acts 2 is all about him. But Acts 2 is in the future tense because Peter is quoting Joel who wrote it in the future tense because Joel wrote it in 500 B.C. About the day of Pentecost. Jimmy, you're 2,000 years too late and I've never heard you speak Russian. This is the word of the Lord. The reason it's in the future tense is because Peter is quoting a prophet from the Old Testament. God said He's going to do great things. He's going to pour out His Spirit. and He's going to show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. And brethren, I do not have time tonight to go to Isaiah. You shouldn't need it. You should need the words, this is that. 
That should be enough. That those word pictures of the sun not shining does not mean the big ball that's going to come up tomorrow in the east is actually going to go out like a light switch was turned on it. The, the prophets never intended anything like that. They were giving you a word picture of something dramatic happening in the religious world, and it was represented by something dramatic happening in the natural world. And the prophets did it over and over and over if somebody would ever read their Old Testaments. Isaiah 13, Isaiah 24, Isaiah 34 are three of your better ones. But you shouldn't need that because you've got it right here. This is that. That's how prophets spoke. That's why I told you in Hosea chapter 1, God told us prophets use similitudes. Do you know what a similitude is? It's something that only looks like something else. And here's a similitude. I'm going to show wonders in heaven and in earth. I'm going to change things drastically. And he did. And when was he going to do that? He was going to do that immediately before something. Quickly before something. Before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And what was that great and terrible day of the Lord? It was 40 years away. It was the destruction of Jerusalem. How do we know? We come to the last words of this very sermon. Verse 40 of Acts chapter 2. And Peter said, and with many other words, this was not a minor part of his sermon. This was a large part of his sermon. With many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. What does untoward mean? Devil possessed contrary to all men. They have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. He's about to make them his footstool as he preached in Acts chapter 2. And it runs, all that sermon runs all the way from verse 14 to verse 40. But his, his invitation was, save yourselves, brethren, from this untoward generation. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ and Peter used the word generation to describe the men alive at the time of John the Baptist and Jesus 29 times. Do you know how many times Paul ever used that word? None. Why? Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. When Paul was writing to us, he had no generation to pick on, like John, Jesus, and Peter had to pick on among the Jews. Because that generation that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ was a special generation. Do you know what Jesus said about them? He said, all the righteous blood shed in this world from Abel to Zacharias, every bit of every ounce of blood from the Old Testament is going to be extracted from this generation. That is Matthew chapter 23. Long before you get to Matthew 24, you better deal with a whole lot of prophecies. You better deal with Matthew chapter 3, where John the Baptist said, You generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What wrath was he talking about? What we saw this morning in Matthew 22, the king was wroth and sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. The wrath that we saw in Daniel chapter 9, because for the overspreading of abominations, God is going to make the place desolate. Because they cut off the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's most just and fair in doing that. We wanted two things from Joel and Acts 2. Two things. There was a great and terrible day of the Lord coming, and it was going to come on that generation, consistent with everything else we've looked at so far. We know it was going to come on that generation because of the final verse of the sermon when Peter said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. The second thing we wanted from Joel 2 and Acts 2 is the use of prophetic language. When the Bible says the sun's going to go dark, 
and it's said by a prophet, don't be C.I. Schofield and wait for the sun to go dark. You're going to wait too long. Because that's not what the prophet means. He's using similitudes. He's using sign language. That's why when you get into the book of Revelation, you see all these wild creatures that are there that have hair like a woman. We're not talking about hair like a woman. It's a word picture. When we talk about Satan being dropped into the bottomless pit and the, bottomless pit and the key being thrown away, he's not in the bottomless pit. He's bound up and reserved. And the key is the authority of him to get out. And on and on it goes. When Jesus Christ has the key of David and the key of hell and of death, do you think he actually has a chain around his neck and something's dangling when he walks? And, and clicking when he walks? The key is authority. When someone is great in our nation, if somebody did something outstanding in the city of Greenville and they came back to the city of Greenville, what is typically done in a city in our country? They give them the key to the city. What is that a token of? Their respect and authority given to them for a moment to honor them. Jesus Christ has that authority over hell and over death. And he has the authority of his father, David, because he sits on the throne of David. The increase of his government, there shall be no end. Thank you, Lord. Do you know how many charismatics there are in this country right now? That if I were to read to them verses 14 through 21, they would say that God has poured out His Spirit on them for them to have Benny Hinn crusades until Jesus comes the second time. Because the great and terrible day of the Lord to them can only be one day. It's got to be a day when the sun stops shining. Well, Peter said, this is that. Amen. The day has already been identified by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And Peter told us it was not a future day. It was a day that generation was going to face in verse 40. And I hope I've been plain enough for you to understand so far. And yes, I may do what I said this morning that I won't be doing, and that's be on this subject for a while. It was not my intention. But I want you to understand this. Do not let somebody... Matthew, do not let somebody in your lifetime take the 70th week of Daniel and take it from Jesus Christ and give it to Antichrist. You're going to a school that does that. Lewis, the same for you. Jamie, the same for you. Everyone else in here, do not let them corrupt Daniel. Those are the pre-tribulationists. They do not understand Bible prophecy at all. They are not right on any subject. They have four comings of Jesus Christ. Brethren, we are looking for one more coming. When he comes, he's going to burn this place up. And he's going to take us home to heaven. Amen. And don't let anybody take Joel 2 or Acts chapter 2 and apply it to Jimmy Swaggart, Benny, or anybody else that comes along that sucks money out of widows and pretends to heal people when he cannot. That prophecy does not apply to them. That prophecy applies to the day of Pentecost. Children, hear me. God has been very merciful to us. Amen. This is so simple. Daniel's prophecy was simple. Joel and Acts 2 is simple. Do not let it be stolen. God has given us the truth. The church of Jesus Christ is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. We cannot let it be lost. Amen. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.